Friday, you made it. It's Friday. We're getting to the weekend. And I hope your last work day of the week, if it's the last work day for you, is a good work day. And today on the Daily Walk, welcome to the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and we're going to be in John 6 through 8. And we get to see some things we're familiar with, but we get to see them through John's lens, which tells us a little different story. And it's really good. We get to hear about Jesus being the bread of life and how he is sent from God. So let's get into this right away, okay? Because in John 6, we get into Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, we've had that in the other three Gospels as well. So here's something significant. When it's in all four Gospels, It must be really important, right? And it's true, but here's here's something significant. John is the only gospel, excuse me, that points out how Jesus got the material to feed the 5,000. In other words, where did the five loaves and two fishes come from? Because Jesus actually has a mission when he's doing this. So John says, Jesus soon saw the huge crowd gathering. And turning to Philip, he points out who he asked the question to even. He asks him, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? So that question was more pointed to Philip. In the other Gospels, we really don't get that. And... John points out that Jesus was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. So Jesus, even though he asked Philip the question, already has the answer, which is true of a lot of things in life, right? So a lot of times, if you think about when you're working with your kids or your students, if you're a teacher or an instructor, you might ask a question, but you already know the direction you're going to take and what your answer is. And you're just trying to see what they would do. And so the answer that he gets from Philip is, man, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, remember Andrew, the quiet one that went and got Nathaniel, They went and got Peter, the one that was bringing people to Jesus. Andrew was the one that spoke up and said, Hey, Jesus, there's a young boy here who has a lunch with five barley loaves and two fish. But then he says, But what good is that for such a huge crowd? So there's significance here in the fact that it's a young boy because think about it. Jesus had already been teaching us that we have to be humble like a child and trust. 
if we have an adult and we're in a crowd of thousands and it's their only lunch, you think they're going to be willing to give it up? Most likely not. But a young child who's learned to share, okay, this is probably adolescent size, is more willing because they're humble, they're trusting. And so he gets this five loaves and two fishes from the young boy and has, Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. And so then they distribute food and everyone ate as much as they wanted. That's what John writes. He makes a point to say everyone ate as much as they wanted. And then Jesus tells them, now go gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. That's a pointed thing they put in there too. And that's when they gather the 12 baskets of leftovers. So... All that came from the five barley loaves and the two fishes. Isn't that cool? I just think that's cool how he emphasizes that. So then, you know, the disciples go down to the shore to wait for Jesus because they're going to cross the other side of the lake. And this is when Jesus walks on the water, okay? But when Jesus is off praying in a secluded place and darkness falls... And this is only recorded in John as well. And in John six seventeen, it says, As darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got in the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Okay? That to me is significant because what it says to me is they waited for Jesus and he didn't come yet. So they took matters into their own hands and went on by themselves. And then guess what happens? Then a big storm comes. A gale swept down and the sea grew rough. And suddenly and it got really bad, right? So this speaks to me because I think sometimes we ask Jesus to come and he doesn't come with the expectation we think he should come. And then we take matters into our own hands. And that's when things get rough because we get into situations that we ask Jesus to help us in and we didn't wait on the Lord. Sometimes we got to waddle, W-O-T-L, just wait on the Lord because maybe he sees something that he's wanting us to just miss out. He doesn't want us to go through that storm. But we take it into our own hands, and and then the storm hits. But here's what happens. You know, we know that in this storm, Jesus knows what's going on, and he walks out to them. And in this recording of John's, they see him, and, he, and they're kind of afraid because they're in the storm. They see him, and it terrifies him, but he calls out, don't be afraid, I am here. And I think sometimes in our storms, it gets so frightening to us because we don't know what to do. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'm here. He reminds us that, hey, even though you took that on yourself, 
don't forget I'm here. I've been with you all along. And then, like in this story, we're eager to let him back into the situation. We're repentant. We're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I did this on my own. And immediately, this is what John writes. We arrive to the other side or the destination. So as soon as we let God back in, it's like the whole thing dissipates and we're okay. Because Jesus is our way maker, miracle worker, peacemaker. And it's like, if we would have just waited on him, maybe we could have averted some of that. If we would have just let him lead instead of us going on our own, maybe we could have avoided some of that. And so this really spoke. It it doesn't go into the whole, you know, Matthew where uh, Peter says, if it's you, let me come to you. It doesn't go into that at all. This just really speaks to me as... They couldn't wait any longer, so they took it into their own hands, and the storm came, and then Jesus calms it. And I think there's so many times in our life where we just can't wait, so we do it on our own, and then we find out, oh, I shouldn't have did that. And Jesus is like, well, no, I'm right here with you. And we're so happy that he's with us that immediately when we recognize we're not alone, Jesus brings a sense of calm over our situation and we just got to let him in the boat with us because he's there. And I I just think if nothing else today, we got to remember that if we did take off and, and not pray over something enough and maybe not include Jesus in a decision and we got, you know, impulsive over something and then it got a little rocky. Jesus is right there with us. And he's like, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm here. And instantly we can have a sense of peace knowing, yes, even though I made that decision and it may not have been the best one, he never left me and he's right there. So then Jesus goes in and he starts talking about how um, he's the bread of life because they're all arguing about, you know, who is who is this and how does he think he is and all this kind of stuff, the religious leaders. And um, they want signs from God and then they want to know what can, what kind of work can I do because I want to be like you. And, and here's the, my favorite verse, John six twenty nine. I've highlighted it. I've learned it. You know, a lot of times we think we got to work our way to heaven. And, and here's the thing that Jesus tells them. The only work God wants from you is to believe in the one he has sent. It's not about what you do. It's not about how you do. It's not about all that. Jesus just wants you to believe. You know, and I, and I heard a message yesterday from one of my favorite speakers you know, and it's and and he just put it this way. You know, sometimes we get so disheartened because we're so busy working, doing, being. You know, being the servant, being the board person, being the leader, being the pastor, being the Sunday school teacher, being the the 
song leader, being the ministry leader, being the church planner, being the whatever, that we're trying to serve so much that our heart becomes disengaged. And really, we're trying to work so much for the kingdom that our heart becomes hardened, really. And this is that scripture right there. The only work God wants from us is that we believe in the one that's sent. And it's not saying we don't believe, but really all Jesus wants is you. First and foremost, above all things, Jesus wants you because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all. And if we've lost our first love because we've been so busy doing, serving stuff, that's not what he wants. Don't work yourself to death. He wants you first and foremost. And I really love that. So Jesus goes into, I am the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. And I just think that's really good. Because they have this thing about, you know, how how is he the bread of life, you know? And he's really just telling them this new diet. you got to get out of this mainstream life where you live and breathe and eat all the junk from the world and start living and breathing what Jesus is, the word of God, because the word of God speaks. And he says, unless you, where am I? If, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you won't have life. And of course, they're talking about the manna and he's like, the manna came from the earth, but I came from the Father. I came from above. And unless you have that, and so they, they're like thinking cannibalism. They're thinking, what? How can I eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life, you know? And it's like, no, it's not. He's not saying literal. He's saying drink and eat of the word. Remember John started the whole book with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then go down a few more verses and it says, and the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. (laughs) So the flesh, we got to live it, breathe it, drink it, eat it. That means we just got to know it. That means we got to become second nature to what the word tells us and teaches us and make it live within us, which takes me back to my life as a paramedic. You know, if I'm going in your house and your loved one is deathly ill or dying or has died, You don't want me to have to think about what I got to do. You want me to know it and just go in and start being able to do what I got to do to save your loved one. And for me to do that, I have to know what those protocols are, what those books told me. 
and what those skills are to be able to make that happen for your loved one. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to know eternal life, you got to know the son and you got to know and breathe and eat and drink all the things that he's telling you so that you can have it too. Because the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And that's what the boys found out when the storm hit. They took it upon themselves to go do something to cross to the other side. And they found out in human effort, we can't do this. We need the spirit with us, the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus with us. And we can't do it on our own. And that's how I got in my life when I found out, man, my track record is horrible. I can't do this on my own, Lord. I need you with me. And you know what? That was him. I am here. Don't be afraid. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Because I know without a doubt in my human effort, I can't do it without him, without Jesus. And so I'm glad that he makes it possible that we can do that. And so, of course, when they hear all this, many of them are, can't handle it because he's got a whole bunch of followers at the time. So some of them leave. So Jesus asks his disciples, do you want to leave too? And Peter's like, well, who, whom will we go to? And Jesus tells them then, I've chosen the 12 of you, but one of you is a, is a devil. And, of course, he's talking about Judas Iscariot, who's going to betray him. So then Jesus' brothers get on him, we're, and they're talking about, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, the festival of the Jewish festivals of shelters is getting ready to start. You'll never get famous if you stay home all the time. You know, it's like, if you're really the Messiah, then you need to go pump yourself up. And Jesus isn't about that. And he says, Jesus' response is, no, you go ahead. My time isn't now. This isn't about that. And, of course, they're kind of making fun of the whole thing. So they leave. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Jesus goes secretly later. But you know where he goes? He goes to the temple and in the temple he starts declaring who he is as the son of God my message is not my own it comes from God who sent me anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God and is merely my own or his and if you know God you know me is basically what he's telling them and that's what he's teaching them. And so this really riles up the Pharisees because he's claiming to be the son of God again. And so they want to kill him. They want to do all this stuff to him. But, of course, they don't want to do it during the Festival of Shelters, which is close to Passover because they don't want to cause riot. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus? He's the one in Chapter 3 who met Jesus after dark because Jesus is drawing him in. Remember, the no one comes to me unless the Father draws them to me, right? And Nicodemus is being drawn to him. Nicodemus speaks up for Jesus to these Pharisees. And he says, is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? And so this really chaps 
the Pharisees. And they're, they growl at him. Are you a Galilean too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet comes from Galilee. And this really gets me because this shows how little they know, which my whole thing with the whole Pharisees thing is how they are supposed to be teaching the word. They're supposed to be knowing and yet they're blind, which is really what Jesus says the whole time. Because if they really knew who Jesus was, they would know. Because their whole thing is he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And they would know that he really was born in Bethlehem. And it just shows how blind they are. And so it's just like, wow. It's like when we say something that we don't know, like we are the authority in it, and then we have to eat those words because we didn't do our research, and someone else who knows this stuff spoke out, and we argue with them. And that's what they're doing because Jesus is the authority because he knows, and because they don't know because they didn't obviously study their own scripture they're gonna have to eat their words because you know the lamb wins which i told our volleyball coach last night because <laughs> they won regionals last night which was really cool and the lamb wins because they are the tribe of judah and they were playing the devils and i'm like you can't lose to the devils the lamb wins so we go to John 8, and that's where the woman is caught in adultery. And that whole story is just weird because, why? How does, one, how does she get caught in, in adultery? Were they watching her? Because that's just as sinful. And when they put her in front of Jesus, Jesus knows this. You know, I have to think Jesus knows you guys are no better. So when they say, you know, this woman's caught, and adultery, what are you going to do with her? Jesus says to them, all right, then let the one of you that's without sin throw the first stone. And, of course, they all leave because none of them has can say they haven't sinned because everyone sinned. And so my favorite part in this is when Jesus stands up again after they all leave and he looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? I love that because as soon as Jesus says, where are your accusers? That means he's not accusing her either because he isn't holding anything against her. And she says, no, Lord, and Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So she's been forgiven, but he's given her, he's forgiven her from the minute she's there. And it's like she has to realize that. She has to see that he is her protector, her provider, her refuge, her strength. And I have to think she leaves there in such a renewed mind because she was with someone who not only showed her mercy, but saved her life literally and then saved her life spiritually. 
So she's going to be so renewed in a new light where she will see life so differently. And if you remember in John 5 with the guy at the pool of Bethesda, this is a great example of how we've been healed. Now go and sin no more. And that's what he just says to her. Now go and sin no more. So Jesus then goes into, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. And he talks about how people judge by human standards, but he doesn't judge anyone. And if he did, it would be just because the father tells him everything he needs to know because his witness is through the father. But I love that he says he doesn't judge. That's so true because we get so caught up in judging people all the time where Jesus, like he's got this adulterous lady right next to him and he's not telling her how bad she is. He's reaching out and loving on this person for who she is as a person, as a soul. And through compassion and mercy and grace, He gives her forgiveness, and his only word is, okay, now go and sin no more. Because the judgment of the world was bad enough. And I think there's a lot of times where people come in, and they're so isolated because the world is so critical to them. They're just looking for a place that will accept them, show them mercy, and see how much God loves them through people that they can repent and start over and that's what the church is for jesus said i am the lord of the sabbath and man if we can turn our churches into hospitals for people like that where they can come and feel safe then they will know that so jesus warns the people and he says i am and that's all capitalized who i claim to be the father or this the son of the father. And he just keeps talking about how he is the I am. And those I am's are uh, capitalized. There's a lot of I am's in John. And he does nothing on his own, but only what the father taught him and what the father tells him. For I always do what pleases him. And he says, I tell you what I saw when I was with my father. See, this is how good about how and the word was with God. And he's, then he tells these unbelieving people, the Pharisees, that if, you, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. But God isn't their father. Their father is the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. See, if we, we don't love Jesus, if we don't love the Father, then the only one else we can love is the world, and that worldly father is Satan. And anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But if we don't listen to God, then we're listening to the other words. And that means we don't listen to God. And so Jesus says, listen, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Woo-hoo-hoo. And the I am's capitalized. 
This all goes back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is the Word that became flesh, and Jesus is just spilling it out for everybody to see. And it is so cool to just be there. And man, what a great way to see how God loves us. And he just wants us to be a part of his kingdom. And that's what you got today. So know this. He loves you so much. And if you're not hearing him, then who's your father? And know this. If you started out without him and it's rough, he's there. And listen for him. I'm right here. Don't be afraid. And immediately your situation will turn better. Look for him. He's there for you. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have a great Friday. We'll pick you up again on Sunday, the Sabbath. Have a great day. God speak. Would you pour down like rain? Washing my eyes.